Hello, and welcome back to It's Symbolic, tracking all of that cult media throughout the ages. I'm Jacob Savage. Amir. I'm Ben. Are we not doing the funny British accents this time? I thought that's like, oh, we're... to get in the spirit of things, we're going to do British accents. that were Those ones that we're really good at and that I was practicing this whole oh. week. Well, I mean, if you want to go for it. Yeah, good. Keep that up. Um, okay. Here, let's hear yours. Um, I'll give it a shot, I guess. All right. Great. Love it. Anyways, let's keep going. No, Benjamin. <laughs> Benjamin. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You make this bed, now you have to lie in it. Hmm, I don't do voices. Yeah, you try to spring one on me. Uh, yeah. I am an actor. I have done full shows and improv in Cockney. Don't fucking test me. Uh, I did test you, and you <clears throat> passed with flying colors, and I'm so proud of you. That's the first time I've ever heard you say that. Uh, so that's probably false. Skeptical. I'll need to... I'll need to parse through the previous episodes to validate that statement. <laughs> well then. Because this, this is all that we ever talk. I don't talk to you ever outside of this, and I never have before we yeah. started this. I mean, we actually have a restraining order in place, and it's mandated by law. Like, this is the one exception. It, it's, a, it's a no man's land. <laughs> there are no laws yeah, in effect here. I can yes. say whatever I want. I can reveal government secrets on here. Oh. Are, are you I mean, going to? I could. To? I can't. I don't know any, but if I did, I could. Are, are, are you going to be a wuss? I don't know any. Believe me. The second I find any government secrets, I'm spilling my guts on here. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. We are already very off of the topic. Ah, government, British stuff. That all has a role here. True. I have a method to my madness. You doubt me. Hmm. And for what reason you possibly do so? It's just kind of an endless cycle. It's unpleasant for everyone involved, and we should really rethink it. Hmm. Anyway, we are going to be talking about the 1980s British hit, Blackadder. Wait, is it a hit? If it's a hit, that's not very cult. I mean... Cult hit. Yes. You have to clarify that. <laughs> Otherwise, this episode will shut off automatically. <laughs> yes. That, that's another aspect. There is a self-destruct function. Yeah, the folks with... in charge will uh, press my kill switch. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll have to find another Ben. That's like the fourth one now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many times has Ben died by now? That can be like our funny, like uh, South Park sort of gag, like, oh, like oh, oh, geez, he died. That's pretty funny. Oh, yeah. If like that happened every episode, I think that'd be funny. And then like, I could a fun say South something anti-Semitic. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. I think that really fits with our brand that we've established. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about good comedy. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about good comedy. I will say that doing the research for this one was fun. Because 
Ben practically screamed when I showed him this show because he recognized half the actors but didn't know it. <laughs> Uh, I mean, when when I saw uh, Rowan Atkinson, I sort of responded like a uh, uh, a small child who spots a farm animal in the countryside, <laughs> like with such such pride that I managed to use my observational skills, and I just exclaimed in joy, "It's Mr. Bean!" <laughs> Sorry, that's just such a beautiful image that I wanted to stick with it for a moment. I don't get these opportunities very often, you see. <laughs> yes. I also well, have I also have the capacity for retaining faces and names equivalent to a small child who is learning the names <laughs> of farm animals. Well, as Ben has already stated, this is a show headlined by Mr. Rowan Atkinson. And its roots actually come back to his school days when he met co-writer of the series richard curtis uh, don't they call school something else there university <laughs> his university days yes you have to say that it's different in his university days thank you and rowan atkinson and richard curtis met at oxford because this is british actors and they all either went to oxford or cambridge i am not even exaggerating god damn atkinson actually got the notice of curtis because in oxford he was part of a sketch comedy group where he decided that atkinson was the only funny person there and got rid of everyone else that's that's an inevitability for our show as well <laughs> it, it's not a question of if it'll happen. The question is who. Not ain't me. Oh, Mir? Hmm. It'll just be her. That's what's best for the show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I hope you're prepared for that, Mir. I'll figure it out. You'll have to do uh, triple the amount of great funny accents that we usually do. No pressure. Uh, the two got there pretty much right out of Oxford... They became involved with the sketch comedy series, Not the Nine O'Clock News. Which was back when sketch comedy was still a thing and not just a... I mean, it's still a thing, but... I could be cynical and say that it's just a vehicle for catchphrases. That's a thing That's I could most say. most television, I think. Hmm. Think about it, why don't you? But yes, as the name suggests, Not the Nine O'Clock News was on in direct competition to the Nine O'Clock News and would showcase parodies of current events. And Atkinson was quickly established as a star performer here. Pretty much everyone on it went on to become a big name in British comedy in some way or another. But in 1981, Atkinson actually received a British Academy Television Award for Best Entertainment Performance, which seems like a very general award, doesn't it? That's a yeah. bold thing for a TV-based uh, award thing to say, like, 
That's stepping outside their boundaries to call it the best entertainment performer. Like, they only do awards for TV. Who are they to say if they're better than musicians or fucking movie actors or whatever? Okay, okay. That's bold as hell. It's given out by the Academy of Film and Television. Okay, that's still saying, yeah, fuck all music. Our guys are way better. (laughs) (laughs) From what I can tell... Never mind, this is all very complicated. (laughs) Do your best. Atkinson also participated in the Secret Policeman's Ball, a regular benefit show, in 1979, where he appeared with some of the members of Monty Python. Wow. Can't have been very secret if we're talking about it now. That you weren't expecting that great gag. Yeah. And he quickly also got a his own show, Rowan Atkinson in Review, on the West End, where he received an Olivier Award. Uh, so, so is this just more sketch comedy, or...? Um, I mean, this was a stage show. Oh, okay. Like a real kind. Yeah. <laughs> like real entertainment. <laughs> yes, real entertainment. Not that stuff that the Academy is talking about. That takes no talent at all. Yeah, so, this guy already has the British equivalent of, like, an Emmy and a Tony, and we aren't even at the damn show yet. How do you say you got in British? (laughs) The only two... Well, I guess if it's the film and television awards, then the Oscar and Emmys are the same. So they're both the B. The Tonys are the Olivier. I don't know what the equivalent of the Grammys is. Uh, that's your homework for next week to tell me what what, what do they call uh, what do they call the EGOT in Britain? I mean, I assume they call it the EGOT because of how the United States has done a bit of a mass takeover of all popular media. People like that Doctor Who shit, don't they? <laughs> do they? <laughs> do they? <laughs> I'm still not convinced that that's not some sort of. Grand for some reason. For some reason. I am so glad we are not doing this in 2013. Otherwise, we would have a million people on our ass just for saying that. Yeah. I wish we had a million people listening. <laughs> oh, I mean, they, they wouldn't even be listening. You just... They, they, were, just they were just they were, They're summoned like, <laughs> like an imp. They're always, they're always angry, I think, all the time. <laughs> Back to good shows. During the final seasons of Not the Nine O'Clock News, it wrapped up production in 1982. Atkinson and Curtis started coming up with ideas for a sitcom. The previous decade, there was another British sitcom known as Faulty Towers, which you may have heard of. haven't oh my god i i might have please just say no please just like let me not be alone in this i mean it's the show that john cleese did after monty python okay thank you but i don't imagine at this point so is this like the the are we at the 80s or the 70s now this is the 80s faulty towers finished airing in 1979 so it seems like the British sitcom climate was a lot different than the American sitcom uh, climate at the time. Because this is around when you're getting your, you know, 
family sitcoms in the vein of Full House and uh, Family Matters and stuff like that. For some reason, the first sitcom that popped into my mind for this era was Mork and Mindy. Hmm. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I don't know why. <laughs> you got something against Mork and Mindy? <laughs> Everyone should, I think. Or <laughs> I, I have not actually seen Mork and Mindy. I've seen a few episodes, but it was yeah, a long thoughts. time ago. No, I want your Mork and Mindy review right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting. We're uh, waiting. I mean, I don't remember a lot about it, except that uh, Robin Williams had long hair and wore a silly spacesuit. And uh, Okay, that's the premise of the show. Thank you. I think he gave birth at one point. I like think Jonathan so. Jonathan Winters or something. Excuse me? <laughs> This this was an Mpreg show? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> As of this moment, all discussion of Mork and Mindy is banned. Mork and Mindy and Mpreg. <laughs> oh no! Wait, uh, Faulty Towers I... was considered to be a huge influence on British comedy. It has been said that if you want to understand comedy, you just watch that show. It's that simple, huh? Yes, so Atkinson and Curtis... In their attempt to avoid getting compared, and or because it had already been done, they decided not to set their show in modern times. Which is how we got a historical sitcom. To be honest, I think that this is pretty much the- this is the only one I can think of. I can't think of a- well- There's probably- oh well, never mind, the future is not historic. (laughs) 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 I mean, like, you get- you get shows like your Happy Days, your Freaks and Geeks, your that seventies show, but <laughs> is, that's is that's a matter of a historic decades. Sitcom. We are talking centuries. Is Flintstones a historic sitcom? <laughs> I guess the first kinda? was the first one that you were going to say the Jetsons. No, Futurama. Maybe. <laughs> As long as you're honest with us. Um, that's my policy. I'm all about honesty. <laughs> that's why I would spill any government secrets I know. Exactly. In the name of honesty. In 1983, we got the first series. Now, this is the United Kingdom, so it's series, not not Season. seasons. I am lapsing into Australian for some reason. I need to kill this before it even starts. I can't fucking tell the difference. <laughs> They all sound the same to me. In 1983, we got our first series, The Black Adder. This was actually kind of a big deal in the sense that it had a humongous budget. Like, I I don't know offhand, I want to say in 
at least hundreds of thousands of pounds shooting in an actual castle because wow. that's a thing you can do in England. Well, no one else is using it, probably. <laughs> True. Probably. Okay. Atkinson said that it was about a million pounds, so. Wow. That has no meaning to me. <laughs> I, I don't know what the exchange rate was at this time. I'm sorry. I can't help you. Well, then I also wouldn't know what inflation was at that time either. So that's just a fucking uh, exam question we would need to answer to get uh, me an idea of what the value of this is. Oddly enough, the unaired pilot for the show is actually a lot closer to what the series would be known for than the rest of the season. Mm. Damn. Wait, so this pilot was, it was unaired, but the show was still picked up? Yes. They do that sometimes. And the same plot was used as one of the episodes. Ah. The plot of this season is set in 1485, so end of the British Middle Ages, where it is revealed at the start that one of history's greatest liars was Henry VII, and that the Battle of Bosworth Field was not actually won by him, but by Richard III. However, Richard III is killed, and... His nephew becomes Richard IV, while Atkinson plays one of Richard IV's sons, Prince Edmund. Edmund! Edna! Fight you with us on the morrow! Uh, oh, goodness, no! No, I thought I'd fight with the enemy! <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, not putting him anywhere near me, are you? No, 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 Uncle. He'll be somewhere amongst the rabble. Oh, arrow fodder. Precisely. Yes. <laughs> what a little turd. As opposed to the later roles that Atkinson would be familiarized with, Edmund is a bit of a moron. I've seen a lot of people describe him as snivelly. Yeah. He's constant goal is to naturally obtain the British throne, because what else do you have to do in England? Can't be that hard. <laughs> After all, who has the fastest brain in the land? Prince Edmund, Duke of Edinburgh. Who is the boldest horseman in the land? Prince Edmund, Duke of Edinburgh. Who is the bravest swordsman in the land? Oh, don't tell me that's that ill from Norfolk. Prince Edmund, Edmund Duke of Edinburgh. Precisely. Or, as I shall be known from now on, the Black Vegetable. <laughs> My lord, wouldn't something like the Black who even wants rule of Britain? That place sucks. <laughs> I don't know how far the British Empire stemmed at this point. Uh, I think it was still pretty was confined. Far. Yeah, I, I think it was still confined to the British Isles. Because weren't they, like, still fighting with the Scots? I think... Uh, yes, the tone is quickly set when Edmund oversleeps, misses the... Famous battle, and then accidentally decapitates Richard III. What a day. Yes, who's played by Peter Cook, who is actually one of the biggest British sitcom stars of the 60s. So everyone involved sort of noted this as a passing of the torch, in a sense. Edna, you loathsome little fairy maggot. How are you? 
Uh, oh, how, how very, very kind of you to ask, um, Your Majesty. I'm very well, and, uh, and it's very good to see you, because, frankly... Yes? Well, 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 frankly, uh... Gosh, you look well. <laughs> frankly what? Spit it out, you horrid little scabby reptile. Uh, well, frankly, everyone thought you were dead. <laughs> Well, frankly, I am. <laughs> so the supporting cast is rendered out in part by King Richard the Fourth, played by Brian Blessed, who is always shouting. As the good Lord said, love thy neighbor as thyself. Unless he's Turkish, in which case, kill the bastard! His brother Harry, played by Robert East, who I don't recall if he really has much of a personality besides mentioning the drainage systems a lot. Yes, well, uh, this is the list of the lords as yet unaccounted for. Um, Roger de Runcy. Oh, de Runcy, yes, he was one of mine. Yes. Uh, Lord Thomas of Devon. Ah, uh, yes, backslash. Lord Yeovil. Ah, uh, yes, groin job. Good. <laughs> remarkable, Edna. Remarkable. Oh, and the Bishop of Bath and Well. Ah, uh, yes. We'll never walk again. We'll conduct the Thanksgiving. <laughs> and then the main trio of the show, consisting of Blackadder, his associate Lord Percy Percy, Duke of Northumberland, played by Tim McIrney, who is also an idiot, but very earnest as an idiot. He only wants to please. are more beautiful than the famous Stone of Galveston. Hmm. What? The famous Stone of Galveston, my lord. And what's that exactly? Well, it's a famous blue stone. And it comes from Galveston. And what about it? Well, my lord, the Infanta's eyes are bluer than it for a start. I see. And have you ever seen this stone? No. Not, not as such, my lord, but I know a couple of people who have, and they say it's very, very blue indeed. And have these people seen the Infanta's eyes? <laughs> no, I shouldn't think so, my lord. And uh, neither have you, presumably. No, oh, my lord. So what you're telling me, Percy, is that something you have never seen is slightly less blue than something else you have never seen. And Blackadder servant Baldrick, played by Tony Robinson. Baldrick, as I said, this is very different in its approach to the characters compared to later seasons. Baldrick is the, it's the smart one of the trio, who always has the cunning plan to advance Edmund's station. Wow, that really is a departure. <laughs> yes, well, we'll get into that. Yeah, some of the ways we can actually make a bit of money on this job. Basically, there appear to be four major profit areas. Mm -hmm. Curses, pardons, relics, and selling the sexual favours of nuns. Selling the sexual favours of nuns? Yeah. You mean some people actually pay for them? Well, foreign businessmen, other nuns. You know. Well, let's start with the pardons. Right, well, uh, this is... Selection, Pretty straightforward. The individual episodes all focus on different aspects of the time. Like the Crusades, the issues with the church at the time, the plague. A lot of people just dying then, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's it, the case throughout much of history. 
<laughs> Look. Uh, well, now <laughs> you don't gotta get wise with mood me. Down and <laughs> you just say these things. I don't know. I don't know what you expect. Does anyone know what happened? No. I don't. <laughs> me neither. I was right on the other side of town when we burned her. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Well, it was because she was a witch, wasn't it? Shh. You burned Mr. Scott for being a witch. It's Why? a sort of weird instance where there's that old-fashioned sitcom everything snaps back to the status quo but at the same time there really isn't uh you only had us watch one episode from each season for full disclosure but it yes. seemed like the way it was resolved uh it was something that would move some sort of overarching plot forward in some capacity not really i mean the not really <laughs> we saw had his properties be handed over to a commander who is killed off at the end of the episode. Similar veins, things like major changes, like Edmund becoming the Archbishop of Canterbury are undone by the end of the episode. Um, that's less egregious than, like, some cartoons or sitcoms where, like, the world gets destroyed or something like that at the end, and then things just get back to normal in the next episode. Uh, I mean, one episode has him trying to get out of a marriage... An arranged marriage, of course, where the episode ends with him instead getting married to a nine-year-old. Whoops. Yeah, That's I not mean, great. It was, it was common practice at the time that the series takes place. It was also common practice to, like, die by the age of nine, I think. True. And to be fair, he, like, becomes, like, an older brother figure to her. So that's kind of sweet. But... No, still not great. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I mean, she's the only person in the series that he's particularly nice to, so... Ah, cool. Cool! Husband, did your new wife? Hello, Edmund. Are we getting married now? Yes, yes, I believe we are. Come on, then. The ending of the series kind of set the tone a bit more where all of Edmund's titles are revoked, so he raises an army of six of the most ruthless bandits in all of the lands to kill the rest of the royal family. They turn on him. Percy and Baldrick poison the assassins, but Edmund is severely wounded, and as his family mourns over him, they are promptly accidentally poisoned. They just all drink the poisoned wine, the entire goddamn court. That that just happens. Including Edmund. May his name last as long as our dynasty. Good lord. I wonder if it was the wine. <laughs> No, seems perfectly all right to me. And now, at last, I shall be king of it. So, yeah, Percy and Baldrick are the only people to survive the first season of Black Adder. And it's very interesting. There's a lot that makes a lot more sense if you're up to date on 
well, not really up to date, but if you know your British history, because they'll do these quick little throwaway gags. Ah, historical humor? Yeah, historical humor. Not to mention so many references to... That'd be lost on me. Not to mention so many references to Shakespeare that he actually gets an an additional writing credit. (laughs) Given that... I mean, he wrote Richard III, so when the character of Richard III shows up, that's where most of his dialogue comes from. If I were to write some, like, shitty garbage television and then include a throwaway, like, Shakespeare line, or, like, no, what if I were to quote, like, um, a Spielberg movie or something and then be like, yo, my show, Spielberg helped write my show. Is that cool? If nothing else, it would make it... Only if he's been dead for 500 years. I'll wait a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you'll have to wait. I'm sorry. That's not a threat, by the way. That's not a threat. I'm not going to kill <laughs> Yes, this was, as I said, like a huge budget for a show at the time. And Spielberg Rowan is a Atkinson, director, by the way. What? I just want to say, Spielberg, Steven Spielberg is a director and not a writer. <laughs> yeah. Just want to make sure we're clear there. Atkinson suffered because he hated his hairstyle and all of the cod pieces that he had to wear. Oh, boo-hoo. Yeah. I mean, pretty much nobody attached to it looks back fondly on the first season, but I it, enjoyed it well enough. Yeah, it not as much as the other seasons. Yes, but in 1983, it actually won an international Emmy. I was not aware there was really any British television at the time that got that much international exposure. It was like a special. The international Emmy awards are a separate thing because you know the two well, types of television. American and other. <laughs> I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's how it works. True. However, this was expensive, bit of a hit, but at the same time, not necessarily worth the cost. So, so a castle ain't worth it. Yeah, it was held on that's for... Why you, that's why you don't see TV shows in castles anymore. I can't think of any yeah, other TV show that... Yeah, there are none. ...takes... There's Abs- none. Absolutely none. It's just they proved it's not worth it. Yeah. Don't don't correct us. There aren't any. Absolutely zero. There is a show called Castle, wasn't there? Yeah, there is. Was that it? Was that in a castle? I think it was in New York. <laughs> castle was the guy's name. <laughs> is that a no? <laughs> I believe at this time the BBC actually came under new management. So. Blackadder was put on hold for a while while they figured out what to do. Rowan Atkinson did not want to write anymore. He wanted nothing more to do with the actual writing of the show. So Richard Curtis called upon his friend Ben Elton, who had already established himself by this point due to a show that he helped create called The Young Ones. Once in every lifetime So, they say there are a number of different explanations. Some people say that it was because of a mandate by the BBC. Others say that it was just the way that it happened. But the primary focus of the show was switched away from the extravagance and more towards the 
smaller sets. Elton decided that they should do the Elizabethan age for this next series. Because it was, in his words, a sexy age that the kids can relate to. <laughs> Fuck, that's so true. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, I'm getting hot just thinking about it. <laughs> in a bit more standard style, the show was filmed before a live studio audience. And in 1986... We got Black Adder the Second. This time, Rowan Atkinson played Lord Edmund Blackadder, an aristocrat, as we mentioned, in the Elizabethan era, who, as opposed to his predecessor, is very cunning and snarky. I seek information about a wise woman. (gasps) The wise woman. The wise woman. Yes, the wise woman. (laughs) Two things, my lord, must ye know of the wise woman. Yes. First... She is a woman. <laughs> and second, she is... Wise. You do know her, then? No, just a wild stab in the dark, which is incidentally what you'll be getting if you don't start being a bit more helpful. <laughs> do you know where she lives? Of course. Where? Here. Do you have an appointment? No. Well... You can go in anyway. Thank you, young crone. Here is a purse of monies, which I'm not going to give to you. In contrast, Baldrick was dumbed down much more. In what was originally meant to be the pilot episode, they shuffled around the order a bit, he is shown being taught how to count to four. That seems like a pretty character-defining moment. Yeah. Let's try again, shall we? This is called adding. If I have two beans... And then, I add two more beans. What do I have? Some beans. (laughs) Yes. And no. Let's try again, shall we? I have two beans. Then I add two more beans. What does that make? A very small casserole. (laughs) Baldrick, the ape creatures of the Indus have mastered this. Now try again. One, two, three, four. So how many are there? Three. What? And that one. Then, Tim again plays Lord Percy Percy, heir to the Duchy of Northumberland, and he is pretty much the same. Behold! Percy, it's green. (laughs) That's right, my lord. Yes, Percy, I don't want to be pedantic or anything, but the colour of gold is gold. That's why it's called gold. What you have discovered, if it has a name, is some... Green. <laughs> oh, Edmund. Can it be true that I hold here in my mortal hand a nugget of purest green? This time, however, the cast is rounded out by the 
Lord Chamberlain, Lord Melchit, played by Stephen oh, Fry. How late I see to avoid the early drinking. Now, oh, Melchit, you really are a beginner. You're not even wearing a pair of comedy breasts. Au contraire, Berger. <laughs> yes, well, well, let's wait till we get down to the series. Who is the long-suffering court advisor, in a sense. To Queen Elizabeth I, played by Miranda Richardson, in what is probably my favorite performance of the show. It's very good. Yes, you get used to the reverential portrayals in media of British royalty, especially Queen Elizabeth I. So seeing her portrayed as a petulant child as she is here is very entertaining indeed. I am now returned, and my mind cannot help remembering talk of wedding bells. No, I'm completely bored with explorers. And if you haven't brought me any presents, I'm going to have you executed. Mum? <laughs> I only let Raleigh off because he blubbed on his way to the block. <laughs> presents, please. Ah, yes, ma'am. Um, she is yes. accompanied by Patsy Byrne as her nurse, who sits around and gives embarrassing insights into Elizabeth's That's past. a very odd name for a girl, isn't it? Girls are normally called Elizabeth. Or Mary. And Donald. Mouth is open, nursery should be shut. But it's true, sweet one. I had three sisters and they were called Donald, Eric and Basil. Then why is your name Nursey? That ain't my real name. Isn't it? No. What is your real name then? Uh, Bernard. <laughs> it was stated that the rest of the characters, especially Baldrick, were dumbed down so that no matter... When you say dumbed down, do you mean... They, they they reduced their character traits, or do you mean like they actually just made them more stupid? They made them more stupid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so no matter how idiotic... Literally dumbed down. Yes, no matter how idiotic Blackadder's plan seemed, he would still come off as the intelligent one. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I think the show probably works better that way. A brilliant move. It <laughs> is. I have... My personal sort of philosophy towards this is that a lot of the great American sitcoms are based off of people that really like each other. The great British sitcoms... At least sitcoms, at that time. Well, the great British sitcoms are based around people that absolutely detest each other. Like, there are quite a few threat threats of bodily harm throughout this series. And at any point, Blackadder seems two seconds away... From stabbing someone. I do have to point out one particular episode where Queen Elizabeth just routinely pranks Black Adder by calling him over to her place and then taking his money. <laughs> this while he prank. is in should, severe debt. I should try that one. <laughs> yeah. It's a very good prank. And she's the queen, so you have to laugh at it. Damn, I should try being queen. because I think my sides have split. <laughs> Again, every single episode revolves around something major to the era. 
the money issues with the church. One episode where Blackadder becomes the head executioner. Oh. Yeah, one where he attempts to go on a voyage to the Cape of No Hope to marry the queen and get attention away from Sir Walter Raleigh. It's also worth noting that pretty much every episode had a major cameo supporting character, ranging from Miriam Margoyles as Blackadder's really Puritan relative, who visits on the same night that he has a high-stakes drinking contest. Would you just like to help yourself to a legacy? No, a chair. <laughs> chair? You have chairs in your house? Oh, yes. Wicked child! <laughs> chairs are an invention of Satan! In our house, Nathaniel sits on a spike. <laughs> I sit on Nathaniel. Two spikes would be an extravagance. Well, quite. I will suffer comfort this once. We shall just have to stick forks in our legs between courses. I trust you remember... Uh, perhaps most famous is the episode of Bells, which was literally intended to be an episode later in the series, but the producers loved the cameo appearance so much that they moved it to be the season premiere. The episode is basically just one huge take on Twelfth Night, where a young woman, played by Gabriel Glister, disguises herself as a man to work as Blackadder's servant, and they fall in love. And there is admittedly some content here that has aged poorly. In being a historical sitcom, it does sometimes play up the difference in values for laughs. But the real star of the show comes in literally a scene that lasts no more than two minutes, where Blackadder's old friend Lord Flashheart shows up to the wedding and immediately steals the bride, and nobody... Everyone loves him. Lord Flashheart is great. She's got a tongue like an electric eel, and she likes the taste of a man's tonsils. <laughs> You don't want to marry this jerk, baby. Meet me on my horse in eight seconds. I can't run in this frock. You see, I find I actually prefer wearing boys' clothes. Weird. I always feel more comfy in a dress. <laughs> I've got a plan, and it's as hot as my pants. Yes, Lord Flashheart is played by Rick Mayall, who agreed to do the guest spot on the allowance that every line he had would be funnier than Atkinson. <laughs> It's, you can tell they, the two actors have very different comedic styles. Even that in this short scene, there are like three different explosions, courtesy of Lord Flashheart. Meanwhile, <laughs> Blackadder just kind of stands to the side and purses his lips. What a man Flash is, eh? Things will certainly liven up around here. Now he's back. Won't they, Fla Flash? So long, suckers. Next time you get bored of your lives, give me a call. And I'll come around and kill you. Bye, Edmund, and thanks for everything. Hooray! The season finale, and in a similar vein to the first one, where Blackadder and Melchit are kidnapped and held for ransom by the German Prince Ludwig the Indestructible, played by Hugh Laurie. The queen is asked to choose which one to save, but she can't bring herself to choose between the two of them, so she decides to throw a party instead with the money. <laughs> the two escape... And good times are had by all until the post credit sequence, where it's revealed that literally everyone is dead. And 
we don't know how they're just lying on the floor and prince ludwig who is a master of disguise has disguised himself as queen elizabeth (laughs) (laughs) happens to everyone eventually you know so So. in reality queen elizabeth the first for a good portion of her reign was hugh laurie (laughs) now this is a disguise i'm really going to enjoy if I can just get the voice right. Black Adder II was a huge success. Everyone enjoyed working on it a lot more. And this is said to be the series that was the best to work on. So, in turn, in 1987, we were given Black Adder Third. By this point, Tim McKearney, who played Percy, was getting a bit fed up as he believed that the character he was playing had grown kind of flat and was going to overshadow the rest of his career, so he did not return. So, in his place, we got Hugh Laurie as the third member of the trio, which apparently this was on the suggestion of Stephen Fry as the two of them went to Cambridge together. Damn, you weren't lying about everyone going to university <laughs> together. Exactly. There are only two schools in all of England. <laughs> I'd believe that. I- I'm pretty sure, like, aside from the one American, I'm pretty sure everyone in Monty Python went to one of those two as well. <laughs> Blackadder Third is set during the Regency, which is the late 18th, early 19th century, during the rule of King George Third. Edmund Blackadder is now the butler to the royal house. These are volatile times, Your Highness. The American Revolution lost your father, the colonies. The French Revolution murdered brave King Louis. And there are tremendous rumblings in Prussia. Although that might be something to do with the sausages. (laughs) The whole world cries out, peace, freedom, and a few less fat bastards eating all the pie. Along with his dog's body, Baldrick, who's primary goal in life is now to obtain turnips. Everybody has one novel in them, and this is mine. And this is mine. <laughs> My magnificent octopus. This is your novel, Boric. Yeah, I can't stand long books. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a lovely little sausage called Boric, <laughs> and it lived happily ever after. <laughs> it's semi-autobiographical. And it's completely, utterly awful. Okay. And the two work for the Prince Regent, George IV, played by Hugh Laurie, who is very much a similar character to Percy in that he's a stereotypical fop of the era. I believe Hugh Laurie stated that his talents in this era primarily consisted of making silly faces. But damn if he didn't do a good job at it. I will say that as someone, I didn't watch the show, but as someone who saw a lot of ads for House, 
I, I think this is the first thing I've actually seen Hugh Laurie in, and it's kind of odd just after all of that exposure for this to be the primary. There's like, there's some, uh, there's like some reaction images using him, uh, in this role from the show that I would never, never guess were him, <laughs> that I had seen like prior to actually being familiar with the show. I mean, um, similar to Ben's childlike instance of pointing out Mr. Bean, when when the opening credits started, he just screamed, fucking Hugh Laurie? It's <laughs> 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 a pair of trousers! <laughs> I shall be the belle of the embassy bull. Now, how'd you put them on? Uh, <laughs> oh no, damn, he's gone to France. Well, I'll do it myself. Shouldn't be too difficult. Um, uh... In contrast to the previous season, Blackadder is even more conniving. He gets a body count of, I want to say, at least six people over the course of the series. I think him being someone's underling really helps heighten the sheer contempt, I guess, yeah. that he constantly has going. Exactly. It's, it's a dynamic that works really effectively. The show primarily contends with, I mean, instead of Blackadder trying to gain the throne or gain the favor of the throne, he mostly just tries to con his employer as Prince George grows obsessed with whatever the newest fad is. As usual, this entire series just has a very murky view of history. Like, if it's within the century, they'll just throw it in. I wouldn't tell the difference. Yes. That is Mrs. Miggins. Will thou bring me but one cup of the brownie juicings of that naughty bean we call coffee, ere I die? Oh! Oh, you do have a way of words with you, Mr. Shelley. To hell with his fine talking coffee, woman! <laughs> My consumption grows ever more acute and Coleridge's drugs are wearing off. Oh, Mr. Byron, don't be such a big girl's blouse. Again, everything is very period appropriate in the first episode. Baldrick becomes an MP. And another episode contends with the French Revolution and the exploits of the Scarlet Pimpernel. But perhaps most well-known is the episode Sense and Senil- Senility? Senility? I don't know how to pronounce things. Wherein, in an attempt to improve his public image, Prince George hires a couple of actors to teach him how to be good at that sort of thing. Namely, acting. <laughs> yes. It provides some of the most well-known moments of the whole series. Yes, you like... continue in your quotation and mention the name of the Scottish play. Oh, never fear, I shan't do that. <laughs> By the Scottish play, I assume you mean Macbeth. Ah! 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 to all the stores, but we make amends. Ah! <laughs> what was that? We were exorcising evil spirits. Being but a mere butler, you will not know the great theatre tradition that one does never speak the name of the Scottish play. What, Macbeth? Ah! Hot potato, officer tours, but we'll make amends. Ah! Oh, Lord, you mean you have to do that every time I say Macbeth? Ah! Hot potato, officer tours, but we'll make amends. Ah! <laughs> will you please stop saying that? Always call it the Scottish play. So you want me to say the Scottish play? Yes! Rather than Macbeth. <laughs> People argue over whether or not this 
season is an improvement over the second or not, but it has to be said that the positioning of Blackadder in this case gives him a lot of opportunities for the general snarky attitude that Rowan Atkinson yeah, is I see it. really good at. Yes. Yeah. I see this season generally cited as being the popular favorite, and I definitely understand why. Well, it's also worth noting among the seasons for its finale, wherein after Prince George scores, he is challenged to a duel of honor by the Duke of Wellington, played by Stephen Fry. Now, so that the prince doesn't die, Blackadder ends up going to the duel disguised as him. He survives the duel, but after that happens, Prince George, still in disguise as the butler, tries to reveal the truth, and the Duke of Wellington shoots him for his <laughs> insolence. Then King George III shows up and tells his quote-unquote son that he's proud of him. <laughs> and it's implied that Blackadder just lives out as George IV for the rest of his life. Rick, clear away that dead butler, will you? <laughs> A new star in heaven tonight. A new freckle on the nose of the giant pixie. <laughs> um, no, actually, Baldrick, I'm not dead. Uh, you see, I had a cigarillo box, too. Look. Oh, damn, I must have left it on the dresser. <laughs> this, again, was a fairly big hit. Just interesting how it shows the difference between American and English TV, because all of these seasons aired within the space of, like, a month. This led to, first, Blackadder, the Caplier years, shown as part of Comic Relief's Red Nose Day an annual charity in 1988, where Blackadder serves as a royalist during the English Civil War. Balance it on the king's head like this, then I'll cover his real head with a cloak, and then, when I execute him, instead of cutting off his real head, I will cut off the pumpkin, and the king survives. <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to work, Morton. Why not? Because once you've cut it off, you have to hold it up in front of the crowd and say, this is the head of a traitor. At which point they will shout back, no, it's not. It's a large pumpkin with a pathetic moustache. <laughs> also in 1988, in the writer's words, they made it. Because BBC asked them to produce a Christmas special. That's the true mark of success. Well, e exactly. They said... Even if you say no, just getting asked. This gave us... And you should probably say no. <laughs> well, they said yes. And that gave us Black Adder's Christmas Carol. He's kind and generous to the sick. He'd never spread a nasty rumor. He never gets on people's weak. And dies. Oh boy. Yes. I guess at this point you have three different Blackadders, so maybe those could be the ghosts. <laughs> well, in, it takes place in Victorian times, 
where we meet Ebenezer Blackadder, the nicest man in all of England. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Everyone this sounds really good. Yes, everyone takes advantage of him for charity. But one Christmas Eve, he's visited by the spirit of Christmas, played by Robbie Coltrane. Wait, so just just Christmas, not yes. any given time frame. Just just Christmas. Just Christmas. Just Christmas. So like Santa Claus, <laughs> kind of. Like he's played by Robbie Coltrane, the <laughs> guy that went on to play Hagrid in Harry Potter. Wow. He's got, like, the big bushy beard and everything. Can I help? No, thanks, no. No, no. Just popped in to say hello. Spirit of Christmas, how do you do? Just doing my usual rounds, you know, a wee bit of haunting. Getting misers to change their evil ways. But you're obviously such a good chap that we no need for any of that nonsense. So I'll just say cheery bye. The spirit of Christmas just outright says, yeah, I was on my way to show terrible people what will happen if they don't repent, but you're just so good that I wanted to congratulate you. (laughs) Then he shows examples of Blackadder II and Blackadder III's cast to show how much better he is. And, and, And this isn't like clip show. They filmed new material with the cast. That's good. Nice. However, instead of feeling superior, he grows to admire them, and he... <laughs> I'd do the same. Yeah, he actually asks what happens if he becomes as bad as they do. We actually get to see the distant future with Grand Admiral Blackadder, who is the official of a galactic empire. <laughs> he murders her triple husbandoid... <laughs> And gets ready to marry her. I give you this much greeting. What news of the foul mammy dons? Scattered to the nine vectors, my lord. And the sheep squeezers of Splatican 5? <laughs> Have they been suck creamed as a crown beast nubbo? Well, they're dead, if that's what you mean. But, Commander, did you vanquish the nibble pibblies? No, my lord Pigmot, I did not vanquish the nibble pibblies because you just made them up. <laughs> Excellent, Commander. You have most pleasantly wibbled my frosted pouch. <laughs> Bring forth the gift. So, as the Blackadder of the Victorian era resolves, bad guys have all the fun. And. I mean, that's a good moral, I yes, think. He spends the rest of the episode just insulting everyone he meets, including Queen Victoria and Prince Albert. Well, that's probably deserved. <laughs> I flatter myself we are rather special guests, sir. Oh, of course. I must apologize. It is not that one receives a Christmas visit from two such distinguished guests. Ah, so you recognize us at last. Yes, unless I'm very much mistaken, you're the winner of the Round Britain Shortest, Fattest, Dumpiest Woman competition. (laughs) And for her to be accompanied by the winner of this year's Stupidest Accent Award is really quite overwhelming. (laughs) Talk it, fatso. This... uh... In turn, leads to the final series of the show, Blackadder Goes Forth.
No, it's it's, it's Blackadder Forever After. I know this. Oh my god, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a little Shrek humor. People love that. Blackadder Goes Forth is much closer to home than the previous seasons. Taking Now it's still Britain. Shut up. Taking place on the Western Front in World War One. Atkinson plays Captain Edmund Blackadder, who spends the in- Captain. He's got he's got his rank back. Yeah, he spends the whole time pretty much trying to get out of the war because being in the British Army used to be easy. <laughs> because it's a fucking war. <laughs> that too. Now, when I joined up, I never imagined anything as awful as this war. I'd had 15 years of military experience perfecting the art of ordering a pink gin and saying, do you do it doggy doggy in Swahili? <laughs> and then suddenly, four and a half million heavily armed Germans hove into view. There was a shock. With the other people in the trench, primarily Lieutenant George St. Barley, played by Laurie, and Tony Robinson as Private S. Baldrick. Tell you how yibbity dap and zing zang spillet. Looking forward to bullying off for the final chucker? Permission to speak? <laughs> answer the General Baldrick. I can't answer him, sir. I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, are you looking forward to the big push? No, sir. I'm absolutely terrified. The two are constantly hounded by their superiors. General Melchett, played by Stephen Fry and his assistant, Captain Kevin Darling, played by Tim McIrney, who was willing to come back to the show to play a completely different character. My night! I know exactly what I'll say to her. Darling! Yes, sir? (laughs) Um, I don't know, sir. Well, then butt in! (laughs) I want to make you happy, darling. Well, that's very kind of you, sir. (laughs) Can you kindly stop interrupting? If you don't listen, how can you tell me what you think? I want to make you happy, darling. I want to build a nest for your ten tiny toes. I want to cover every inch of your gorgeous body in pepper and then sneeze all over you. Really, sir? I must protest. What is the matter with you, darling? Well, it's just all so sudden, sir. I mean, the nest bit's fine, but the pepper bit's... And they have spoken a lot about how Captain Darling's character just sprung off from... The name, when they came up with the name Darling. That this person who had to contend with being called Darling all of his goddamn life. And as someone with the- That sounds nice. You have it easy. My my last name is Savage, so I can sympathize. (laughs) Actually, you can't comment on whether or not I have it easy, because then I would give some sort of hint as to what my identity would be. So it may be easy- or it may not it be may easy, not. but you, the listener, will never know. It wasn't easy for a savage even before the word slipped back into common slang. Well, you can have, like, a, a, a macho man thing. Have you heard that one? Plenty of times. What about what about Randy Savage? Yeah, that's macho man. That's macho man. I meant Fred Savage. <laughs> 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 Fred Savage, Adam Savage, I've heard it all. There is a Ben Savage. I know that Macho Man is Randy Savage. I'm sorry. <laughs> this isn't even the first reference of Macho Man Randy Savage on our podcast. No? No, he came up in the Police Squad episode. 
Damn, for real? You begged me for the footage! (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) We should talk about we should talk about Macho Man more. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. I don't know. Maybe his rap career got enough of a following to justify an episode? Uh, I'll get really into it and form a community around it, (laughs) so then we'll qualify for this. There we go. (laughs) That way we can get the president of the fan club. Man, what an honor that would be for you. Yeah. I'm sure that me, the person who accidentally said that Macho Man and Randy Savage were two separate people, would be very qualified to hold that position. There there are Randy Savages that are not Macho Men. Hmm. Anyway. Anyways. <laughs> War. This episode's already quite long. <laughs> yeah. The series as a whole is a lot bleaker than the rest of the show, because it takes place during Where's a fucking a bitch, war. Ain't it? A lot of the show is sort of brought towards a... It's definitely a anti-war message. Everyone, aside from Black Hat, are pretty much is displayed as incompetent glory seekers, to the point where Black Hatter is sentenced to execution by firing squad at one point, <laughs> because he shot the commander's carrier pigeon. <laughs> That's an injustice that will not stand. It's also worth noting that this Black Hatter is actually kind of a lot more sympathetic. Because instead of, like, personal glory and gain, he just wants to leave. <laughs> he wants yeah. to not die. Yeah, we can, like, we can sympathize yeah, dude, with him. Yeah, I relate. Yes, uh, the whole series revolves around those anti-war themes. There's an episode devoted to the war hospitals. There's one in the Flying Corps. And even... The descendants of Bob and Lord Flashheart show up. So it truly is a grand finale. It's me! Hooray! <laughs> Dodge potatoes, George! You said noble brother flyers were in the lurch! If I'd known you meant old slack bladder and the mound of the hound of the Baskervilles, <laughs> I'd probably let them stew in their own juice! And let me tell you, if I ever tried that, I'd probably drown! <laughs> I'm here, I may as well do it! As the bishop said to the netball team. Come on, chums! Speaking of which, the grand finale. Goodbye. Oh, just a quick note. Was this intended to be the last season from the start? Um, I'll get to that. Okay. So, the episode concerns the order to go over the top. That sounds fun. I mean, going over the top means leaving the trenches and... Getting killed by machine guns. Uh, is that a good thing? Uh, I think it's better than, like, getting gangrene from standing in tr- the trenches. Okay, then good for them. <laughs> there you go. World, World War One sucked in a very particular way. <laughs> I have ancestors who died in it horribly. I Oh, that's not fun. I think that's like a statistical likelihood... Yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of sad poetry. It's the sad poetry war. Well, there's plenty of sad poetry here. Oh, yes. In this episode. This episode. In one of the writers mentioned judging like his son or his grandson's poetry recital and someone one of the kids recited a poem from this episode. Holy shit. Oh my god. Is it that one? Yes, it is. No word on how the kid did. 
<laughs> is called the German guns. Oh, spiffing! Yes, let's hear that. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, boom. Despite Blackadder's attempts, he is unable to get out of duty and desert. And while they're getting ready to leave, the machine gun fire suddenly stops. And they think the war might be over. Until a specific line appears. We lived through it. The Great War, 1914 to 1917. World War I ended in 1918. This series takes place in 1917. Uh Uh-oh. Whoops. Almost got it. Almost. Just missed it. The original planned ending was for everyone to die on screen of machine gun fire. Except for Black Adder, who would survive by playing dead and then show up in an epilogue as an old man. However, the shooting involved several explosion effects and looked very bad, involving them just kind of falling forward limply. But when they called to ask the actors to do another take, they legitimately, the they outright refused saying that it was the most terrifying <laughs> thing they'd ever done. Yeah, I don't blame them. Yeah. So, pyrotechnics are just sort of like, not gonna mess with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have the practical experience to have an appropriate anecdote or anything, but you're not wrong. Just being around, like, fireworks makes me anxious, so... <laughs> so, they had to make do with what they had. They're, they... Had a shot that was really just them advancing and then awkwardly stopping in front of the camera. So they ended up slowing down the footage, overlaying some explosions on top of it, and then fading into a field of poppies. No closing credits or anything. works better than you would think. It does. And this aired, like, a week before Armistice Day, or as it's called in the UK, Remembrance Day, which is, as the it says, the official holiday of remembrance for those that were lost in World War One. And interestingly enough, they did not get any complaints about this. The one complaint was that it was too sad. And they did state that they always intended for the ending of the series to be such a downer, given that it was such a prominent and dark part of history. They couldn't just play it for laughs. Right. I mean, the ending certainly leaves an impact, and I see it generally cited as, like, one of the best uh, endings to a sitcom or even just a TV show in general. All time. And I wholly agree with that. It's really good. 
like not even having seen the entire show. It's pretty amazing. I mean, after every other season had played killing everyone off for comedy, it's such a shock and it works so well and I love it. And there's a moment, a, a, a rare moment of Blackadder treating Baldrick with even a bit of humanity before, uh, before the show ends. Yeah, I mean, we get those, but they're few and far between. Yeah. But this is, in this case, it's like one of the last lines of the show. I think the last line of Blackadder as a character. Well, I have a plan, sir. Really, Baldrick? A cunning and subtle one? Yes, sir. As cunning as a fox who's just been appointed Professor of Cunning at Oxford University? Yes, sir. On the signal, company will advance. Well, I'm afraid it'll have to wait. Whatever it was, I'm sure it was better than my plan to get out of this by pretending to be mad. I mean, who would have noticed another madman around here? Good luck, everyone. They knew, pretty much, that there was no way they were going to be able to top that. Behind the scenes... They were beginning to get a bit annoyed with actors constantly reworking their own dialogue. And between that... <laughs> Damn actors. Yeah, between that and just how impactful the ending was, they knew that they probably weren't going to get a fifth season. They did toss some ideas around. There was one proposed premise where it took place at a boarding school. So they would be school children? I, I think they would be the Deans. Oh, Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tony Robinson's personal favorite was one that took place in like the 50s and 60s, where Blackadder was the illegitimate Happy son days. of Queen Elizabeth II, oh. who had a rock band. Oh, shit. With his drummer, Bald Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, that would be good. <laughs> yeah, the rock band would have been called the Blackadder Five. God. I mean, simultaneously, it's sort of like. You don't necessarily want to see them try to follow up after season four. Yes. But I can't help but hear this and be like, fuck, that sounds good. <laughs> well, <laughs> in 1999, actually, we got to see more with the short film Blackadder Back and Forth, commissioned specifically for showing in the Millennium Dome, a major exhibition made around the turn of the millennium, where the modern-day Lord Blackadder and Baldrick invent a time machine. Can you set the date so we can get home? Yes, I'll just turn that there, pull that there, reset that there, pull this lever like that, and the date should come up. But unfortunately it doesn't because I was going to write the numbers on in felt tip pen, but I never got round to it. Right. So the date we're heading for is two watermelons and a bunch of cherries. That's right, my lord. In other words... We can't get home. Not as such. Excellent. Rather a spectacular return to form after the genius moment, Baldrick. Pretty much everyone that was a major character in the show shows up in the modern day as aristocrats that Blackadder plans to con. And surprisingly, we get very little of the settings from the original show. We get a scene in... Queen Elizabeth I's court, and that's it. There's not even much done with the usual descendants concept of the show. We see Blackadder and Baldrick as Roman centurions, but not really beyond that. At the end of the special, Blackadder, upon being informed by his friends that 
you know, someone with this power could potentially change the future, decides to run out and take care of some more stuff. And the special ends with the Millennium Dome being visited by King Edmund III and Prime Minister Baldrick. <laughs> he made it. Yeah. It's a fitting ending, I suppose. Sweeps into view, because here at last is the king himself, King Edmund III, universally loved, 98% approval rating across the country. And with him, his gorgeous new bride, Queen Marion of Sherwood, the nation's most famous beauty, beloved by all. And here to greet them is the Prime Minister, unmarried, of course, but now entering his fifth term of office. The relationship between the King and his First Minister particularly close nowadays, since the dissolution of Parliament two years ago. And what a great partnership these two have become, leading Britain magnificently into a prosperous and triumphant new millennium. Once again, it's hard to do anything after the way Blackadder goes forth. Ended. Yeah, precisely. And, you know, reception is a bit mixed. Hmm. Regardless... The Blackadder concept has shown up in short theater skits throughout the years, generally for, like, royal performances, as recently as 2012, wherein Blackadder is the chief executive of a bank in the modern financial crisis. <laughs> yeah, by now it is unlikely that we will get any more major appearances from the character. There's actually two documentaries about the show, both of which are very interesting. I cover the entirety of how the series was made, how it was processed. And it made a good portion of British comedy who they are today. Rowan Atkinson, as Ben can attest. Yeah, surprising to see all the big names who came from this. Yeah, yeah Rowan Atkinson went on to do Mr. Bean. Stephen Fry did God knows how much. Hugh Laurie obviously has. Yeah. I'm surprised that you were familiar with Stephen Fry. I mostly just know him from QI. I know him as the British voice guy. <laughs> oh shit, you're right. Yeah, he, the funny, he did the funny the British audiobooks voice guy. for Harry Potter, didn't he? Maybe. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Oh, and he narrated Little Big Planet. Yeah. Well, yes, you got me there. I know that. <laughs> it's a fucking video game. Good job. You proud of yourself? I mean, I was just surprised that it was a video game I had heard of. Me too. Not one I'd heard of. Let's just say, Blackadder has gone down in history as a fan favorite for its unorthodox style, its wit, and really being one of the new faces of British sitcoms. Yeah, and it's not obvious by all the jokes I've made at the expense of our friends overseas at this point. I can't but help but feel that there's a bit of a culture gap when it comes to some of the entertainment that stemmed from the Great Britain. Uh, there's many cases in which it maybe doesn't resonate with me as much as it does with its home audience. And this is absolutely not one of those cases, I think. This is one of those relatively rare for me cases in which I... I don't know, I guess... How do I, how do I put it? It really is just sort of like a, a marvel of comedic writing. Exactly. I mean, in 2000. Like, I don't, I, I can't really imagine anyone just not appreciating the wit and great character acting in this yeah, show. It still gets recognition to this day. In 2000, 
the British Film Institute created a list of the 100 greatest British television programs. Blackadder Goes Forth placed number 16. Hmm. <clears throat> In 2004, a poll to find Britain's best sitcom placed Blackadder as a whole at number two, well, losing behind what? only fools and horses. Not yeah. familiar. <laughs> it's one that has not really persisted, at least not as much, to an American audience. Sure. I, I definitely think Blackadder is one that inherently holds more international appeal than a lot of British television I'm familiar with. And in 2016, the magazine Empire held a poll to find the best TV shows of all time, with Blackadder placing number nine. Wow. Um, I mean, everything above it is pretty much what you would expect from a popular poll, so... It says a lot, and I legitimately love it. It's really well earned. I this show's really fucking good. I legitimately <laughs> love this show. Like it may just stem in part from Black Adder being the sort of aesthetic slash persona that I have grown to associate myself with over the years. <laughs> I'll say, <laughs> who would that make me, Jacob? <laughs> Answer carefully. You want to be Hugh Laurie? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Sorry, Mir. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as Ben said, this is legitimately a masterpiece. Like I, yeah, holy. I need rec- more historical comedy in my life. I love medieval history, and I need more medieval comedies because <laughs> it's kind of a funny time. It is a funny time. Everyone's funny looking. <laughs> I mean, those fucking haircuts. But Mir, the only things that took <laughs> yeah. place during the medieval times were serious fantasies. And dragons, <laughs> I think. <sighs> dragons and heterosexuality. I'm gonna, go and, I'm gonna go back in time and bully Gerard Tolkien. <laughs> God, I wish. <laughs> See, I was going to suggest that you bully George R.R. R. Martin, Fuck. but... Yeah, I was gonna say, if we had a Him great historical too. comedy that people were talking about instead of fucking Game of Thrones... Then maybe I could actually connect with people over pop culture. <laughs> That's going to be my next big project, is rewriting Game of Thrones to be a comedy. Oh my god, <laughs> please. <laughs> I would pay for that. Speaking of paying, should we mention the Patreon? Oh, yeah. Well, people don't really get anything for it yet. <laughs> but yes, it exists. Who, who so. knows if it will actually be established by the time this episode goes out, but we are in the process of putting together a Patreon. So Our, our hand has been forced, thanks to the fine folks at Patreon. Yes. We are currently working on putting that together, so if you want to support us in what we do, how about throwing a little money our way? But not too much, or Jacob will make me do more for the show. <laughs> you have to earn your keep, Ben. Yes, we are currently working on putting together things for exclusive backers, from 
written pieces to outtakes from the show to full-on additional content. So if that seems like something you'd be interested in... News to me. <laughs> I honestly can't even tell if you're joking about this stuff anymore. Me neither. Yes, please. If, if nothing else, you will get our everlasting love. And if there's anything you want to talk to us about, a suggestion, criticism, whatnot, we are available on Twitter at PC or through email at itsymbolicpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram... Please don't yell at me if you're British and I made too many British jokes. I already know I did, and I regret it. Yeah, well, that, that's on you. I'm, I'm not helping you with this. It is. Don't, don't hassle them. Yeah. And we also have an Instagram at itsymbolicpodcast if you want to see a bunch of very familiar-looking people. No matter how you're listening, be it iTunes, Spotify... Podbean, whatever the previous generation's equivalents of those were, be sure to leave a rating and review. That's the best way to help the algorithm. That's the best way to help us. That's the best way to help in general. Except for giving us money now, because you can do oh, that. that too. I mean, if you help the algorithm, that helps more people find us, which leads to more people giving us money. Ah, oh, that'd be dope. Anyway, I'm Jacob. I'm here. I'm Ben. Join us next time, or we promise we will try our hardest to keep from making jokes about energy drinks. Man, you saw what a good job I did about trying to refrain from making jokes about the British. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) This is going to go real smooth. Maybe we shouldn't. Oh, dear. It's like there's there's a a monster inside me that can't be stopped. (laughs) You're the worst. It's like I'm I'm a real rock star. When it comes oh to <laughs> making fun of our shit, um, for loco, you should try to gator aid me <laughs> in not, not making these. <laughs> gator aid. <laughs> it's a sport. It's a sports drink. Yeah. Oh my and god. Up. <laughs> it was should have gone for red bull. With, and then you ruined it even more. I didn't know. Congratulations. <laughs> All I need is some feathers, a dress, some oil, an easel, some sleeping draft, lots of paper, a prostitute, and the best portrait painter in England.